Today's episode of Theoretically Speaking features Dr. Colin Oliver, Dr. Anila Dede, Erwin DeCock, and Arshi Gupta from Sineos Health. They discuss evidence generation planning to optimize clinical and commercial success and improve patient outcomes. Let's jump in. first question that we have is talking about underserved populations. So will there be any recommendations of filling the access disparity gap? So I'll, I'll, jump, I'll jump in and then, and then open it up to, to the rest of the team. So I think what we're, here, what we're seeing is particularly in the United States, right? The FDA has issued guidance earlier this year about a mandatory process for, for organizations during the development phase to, to identify their plan for generating data in representative patient populations. And I think what, what you'll see as we progress into the future is this will become more and more mandatory, more and more critical. And many organizations, for those of you who attended ASCO, for example, it was a hot topic of discussion across every, you know, almost every company in their booth in sessions were talking about how to solve this challenge because it is a challenge to, as particularly, again, particularly in the United States to encourage underserved patient populations to join clinical trials. And so this is where there may be opportunity for alternative or supplemental evidence generation approaches, like some of the real world techniques that, that Erwin described to generate th- that evidence in those underserved patient populations. But I think it's a, it's a very sort of timely question because I think we'll see increasingly over the next couple of years that this will be critical to commercial success and potentially even regulatory approval. So I don't know, team, if you have other uh, additional thoughts on, on this question. I think you covered it, Colin. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just move to the next question then. What would you propose to a cross-functional asset team to help them to prioritize their evidence needs and build a roadmap towards evidence generation? I think this one would be for you, Erwin, if you want to take a shot first. Absolutely. First of all, it's a lot of communication, right? I think that it came across in my presentation, but also Ashi's cross-functional discussions. I think in the polling questions, we've actually seen that there's some, there were some agreements and disagreements about collaboration. So that's probably the first step that the different functions understand each other's job really function and perspectives and needs and then also within the function that you understand what are the stakeholders needs of the function you serve right for example medical affairs serves the hcp function they actually go out to these hcps and talk to them so something that we we do a lot when we engage with our customers with this exercise is actually that it's setting up workshops or it's setting up external panels of people to understand Okay, what's interesting for them, right? For a given, like look, thinking about a new asset in a given indication. Okay, so that's definitely the first aspect. And then I mentioned a lot about the prioritization. I mean, the beauty of free well research is they have it's it's multidimensional, right? All these stakeholders with their evidence needs, but that makes it very complex, right? That you have you really sit together and go through all these different types of evidence and data. You look what's already there, look where the gaps are and then collaborate with the colleagues to identify and prioritize and then look at the right real-world research designs. And again, that's something, I mean, as an organization within Cineos, we are commercial and a clinical organization, meaning we, we run studies, we design studies, and that's something that we definitely support our customers, right, to understand what design would be most suitable, but also from like a feasibility perspective uh, and, and timelines. 
two of my colleagues want to add any perspectives. Your response, Erwin. Doesn't look like anyone else wants to add. Uh, Arshi, maybe you want have something you want to add to that? No? Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to our next question. How do you identify knowledge, attitude, and practice of stakeholders towards evidence generation? Anyone oh, can take this one. I can take this one. You saw me <laughs> jump out of my seat, but absolutely. And the way, just want to repeat, it's knowledge, access, and what was the last thing, Sydney? I want to make sure I touch on everything. Knowledge, attitude, and practice. Yeah, knowledge, attitude, and practice. Okay, we've done this a lot. And the way you really need to address their knowledge is what we call it a knowledge evolution index. And what we are trying to do is using a multi-modality form. So we're not going back to, you know, age-old things of surveying stakeholders. We are really understanding what is their knowledge-seeking preference. Where do they go when they want to learn about new assets? Where do they go when they want to learn about mechanism of action? Within Sineos, we've developed a large data set around this for certain therapeutic areas where we have understanding of specialties. We have understanding of subspecialties of stakeholders on what their knowledge evolution looks like when they're learning and when they're also thinking about what kind of evidence needs they might have for their patient population. So you look at baseline assessment of that stakeholder and then you continue to do longitudinal assessments to see where have they moved from their baseline to longitudinal assessments in their knowledge seeking preference. The same goes for attitudes. Because uh, as, as we talk about it, right, when you look at people's capabilities and competencies, it's around skills, attitudes, and behaviors. So we do a very similar data-driven methodology to first look at your entire medical universe, which is your ecosystem at large, and then look at segments from there and see, are there any similar attitudes for cohorts in there. And this is not done primarily through, you know, prescription of what kind of drugs they're prescribing or where are they speaking. Again, we use a multimodal uh, methodology here around their clinical and scientific variables to understand what kind of practices they are following, how much of the guidelines are they using when they're treating their patients, and what attitudes do they have in really pushing the envelope, just not for the acid in mind, but overall for the disease state as well. I'll pause if, if my colleagues have anything to add here. I think that's great. I think you touched on everything around that question. Has there been any successful example of integrated evidence strategy? This one might also be one for you, Arshi, if you want to touch on that one. Yep. If, if I may, actually, instead of going on the positive side, I'll share something on the flip side. And then that can explain how if things were done on, in the right manner, it would be in a successful example. So we, we had, um, we were working with a client, uh, in the bone disorder space. And what we noticed was that there was very little cross-functional talk. There was very little being shared on what people were learning from doing different kinds of activities. So when I say different kind of activities was, you know, the medical teams were running ad boards. 
the clinical team had of course you know done the analysis and run the trials and had insights so every function was having their own insights but there was no concerted effort to bring the teams together to really talk about are we hearing about the same things are we really understanding is is regulatory as colin was saying the hallmark of success so clinical was r&d was running towards you know regulatory approval without really keeping in mind what the market access team had understood from the payers from the health systems in the us on how they will really take this asset into consideration when it comes to reimbursement and providing broader access they weren't talking and it was a bit too late where when we shared the output with the team saying this is this is something that your payers and your access bodies are requiring in terms of evidence but you are really rushing to get this regulatory approval and launch the product but it might miss the step and it might miss that access uh, importance and you'll face challenges post launch so based on these recommendations the client really took a step back and this resulted in almost a year long delay for them where they didn't launch as per timelines and ensured that they were collecting the right evidence to make sure they didn't have any hurdles post launch hopefully that provides perspective but if anyone else from the senior team wants to add on success stories or lessons learned i'd welcome their thoughts yeah i'll i'll add a success story that i think we see in some companies where it's it maybe is not the fully integrated evidence strategies that we've talked about because i think this is this is a newer concept that we're seeing and uh, a few organizations that we're working with are actually pushing to develop these more formal processes around this this integrated evidence strategy now so there we don't have an output or a success story because they're just now building them this capability but i think we've seen organizations and many of you probably have experienced this where their evidence generation and evidence dis- dissemination strategies are tightly linked and working together in early lockstep to the point where they're able to generate the evidence and disseminate the evidence plan for that in a timely enough manner where they can for example release a new england journal article at the same time that the podium presentation is happening at a conference right i think these are smaller examples of where a very tight coordination integration across the functions can really have a profound impact on the organization on on the data that's being generated enjoyed this episode of theoretically speaking and that you'll tune in to future episodes where we chat with pharma value evidence and access experts don't forget to subscribe thank you